For all you elk hunters out there, chasing turkeys is basically the same thing. I know the reaction you just gave me, but don't knock it till you try it and don't try it without OnX. The Hunt app will not only help you find new areas on public ground, but I use it to find out landowner info to get permission on private ground that I see birds on as well. OnX Hunt has a special offer for you. Use code CAL to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com slash hunt and find more birds this spring. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. Simply pour a can in your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. That's seafoamworks.com to learn more. Hey, I just sat down with the owners and operators of Maui Nui Venison. They're on a mission to balance access deer populations on Maui while giving back to the community and run a totally sustainable operation. For folks like me who want to get your own meat but aren't always successful, you can become a snack subscriber, get some Axis Deer sticks sent right to your door. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I Venison.com and use promo code CAL for 20% off your first order. From Meat Eater's World News Headquarters in Bozeman, Montana, this is Cal's Week in Review, presented by Steel. Steel products are available only at authorized dealers. For more, go to steeldealers.com. Now, here's your host, Ryan Cal Callahan. Wolf pups have been confirmed in the state of Colorado. Colorado Parks and Wildlife staff have reported three separate sightings of wolves with pups between June 4th and June 8th of the 2021 spring season. Colorado is now home to our first wolf litter since the 1940s. We welcome this historic den and the new wolf family to Colorado. With voter passage last year of the initiative to require reintroduction of the wolf by the end of 2023, These pups will have plenty of potential mates when they grow up to start their own families, said Governor Jared Polis. Quick aside here, and I hate to do this so early in the episode, but if Governor Polis would have taken the Disney out of his statement, I would have found it much more palatable. Just substitute the words breeding pair for family. Is, you know, more or less what I'm looking for. (laughs) Why invite the messy definition of family into this scenario when, in the state of Colorado, you already are dealing with the fact that you let a citizen's initiative determine that you need to reintroduce wolves into a state that already has wolves, and, as confirmed this June, those wolves are reproducing? That question, reproduce or reintroduce, is near the heart of the evolving wolf conflict in Colorado. Wolves moving into Colorado from neighboring states would allow not only the ranch communities that will have to tolerate livestock losses to predation to gradually become accustomed to dealing with wolves, but the wild ungulate populations of elk, moose, and mule deer to do so as well. A gradual process. Reintroduction advocates believe that although wolves showed up naturally in Colorado and are now breeding and reproducing naturally in Colorado, the likelihood of a genetically viable population of Colorado wolves 
as in a diverse enough number of non-related adults mixing up the gene pool, would take much too long and possibly not happen at all. Not happen at all is, for the record, what folks thought about the odds were of a wolf walking through Wyoming into Colorado. (laughs) That's actually hilarious. All right, I'm going to stop here. This bit of wolf news reporting is getting far too biased by me. I apologize for that. We're going to stock this article up to opinion. It frustrates me that members of the conservation community get so wrapped up in helping wildlife that they then have to turn a blind eye to wildlife when it helps itself. I often feel we just don't have the patience to let nature do its thing. Although gray wolves are not federally endangered, they are listed as endangered in the state of Colorado. If you are a coyote hunter, you would better know exactly what you're shooting at. It would be possible to mistake a young wolf for an adult coyote, and that mistake could cost you up to $100,000. This week, we've got mosquitoes, trees, coyotes, and so much more. But first, I'm going to tell you about my week. And my week, as well as this podcast, is, as you know, brought to you by Steel Power Equipment, whom I have been traveling with through Southern Oregon and Northern California. Steel is working with state parks in both states to plant 2,021 trees in an effort to jumpstart reforestation in areas hit by hot, slow-moving fires, sometimes called catastrophic wildfires. These areas would eventually reforest themselves, but the near- and short-term effects could be harmful to sensitive species. For instance, on the Oregon side, there are two endangered sucker species and the highly prized red-band rainbow trout, which grows beyond 30 inches in length, in an area that was severely hit by fire. Without healthy root systems holding back soil, more of that soil will end up in spawning areas, potentially suffocating eggs laid in the gravel below. Getting taller growing trees started early will also help to reduce the fuel buildup from low-lying brush, including noxious weeds and invasive species, by blocking sun at the ground level. On top of that, we'll be able to get the right type of habitat in place for bears, blacktail deer, elk, and raptors, among others. Now, if you remember just back a little beat when I made the comment about people not being patient enough to let nature do its thing, well, here's another for instance. On the California side of the Oroville State Recreation Area, which happens to butt up against several major housing developments, the bear fire came incredibly close to those houses, which was carried by high winds. The fire jumped 13 miles in an hour and amazingly was slowed in part by the good fire management of the state rec area, which is surrounding the Oroville Reservoir. Due to the amount of standing dead timber that is there now, and the natural progression of a buildup of underbrush before the mature trees begin to take over, the state foresters estimate that it will take 2,000 years for the state forest to restore itself to its pre-catastrophic fire state, which is totally fine until you factor in the housing developments and the drought and the progressive nature of climate change and the known fact that that state forest did do a good job of slowing that fire down to where it could be contained before it burned the houses. All of that has pointed to a need for some human interference to go in, reduce fuels now, and replant trees. That's a real, real quick and dirty on forest management. It's a real fun job to be able to travel around and check this stuff out. Quick note, 
if you are ever in the Oroville, California area and need a bite to eat, check out the Wagon Wheel. Hey, Mama Rock Me. Those folks are doing everything from scratch, sausages, tri-tips, smoked meats, ribs, salads, and they're hunters and even process wild game there. Highly recommend. Another thing, thank you to the folks from Oregon State Parks, Oregon Fish and Wildlife, and California State Parks for letting me tag along and seeing what everybody's got going on in those places. Moving on, got a lot to cover. Tens of thousands of genetically modified death mosquitoes are now being released in six locations across the Florida Keys. This might sound like a Bond villain plot to make people literally waste away in Margaritaville, but it's actually an effort to knock back an invasive species that's been spreading disease in Florida for decades. As its name would suggest, the Aedes aegypti mosquito is native to northern Africa, and although it makes up only 4% of the total mosquitoes in Florida, it's responsible for almost all transmission of Zika there as well as dengue fever, yellow fever, and chikungunya. Really don't want chikungunya. It causes severe joint pain and immobility. In the Kimikande language of Tanzania, its name means to be contorted. With a description like that, we'll take your word for it. Florida has tried to control these mosquitoes for years with pesticides, which is expensive, not very effective, and just murder on honeybees, ladybugs, dragonflies, and most other animals including humans. During the Zika outbreak in 2016, insecticides were sprayed from airplanes over neighborhoods in Florida, which, if you've ever seen what sprays do to bugs, spraying them on your kids probably isn't a good idea. The genetic approach goes like this. In the lab, A. aegypti males are altered so that when they mate with wild A. aegypti lady mosquitoes, the resulting female offspring are born with a genetic malfunction that kills them before they can mate. The male offspring, however, are perfectly healthy, but when they breed with wild females, they also pass on the self-destruct gene. Again, all the new females die, and all the new males pass on more self-destruct DNA. This keeps going for generation after generation, until almost all the males are passing a self-destruct gene, and almost all the females self-destruct. Without females, there are no more A. aegypti mosquitoes, and we hope no more Zika. The beauty of this is, this approach doesn't leave any mosquitoes with altered DNA on the landscape. Once those last females die, all the genetically altered males die too. This self-limiting approach killed 96% of A. aegypti mosquitoes in the Brazilian city of Indiatuba in 2019. You won't be surprised to hear that this has been very controversial, even with approval from the EPA and Food and Drug Administration. A lot of people have seen Jurassic Park and worry that monkeying around with an animal's genetics could get out of hand. Gee, the lack of humility before nature that's being displayed here um, staggers me. But because male mosquitoes don't bite humans, and because A. aegypti mosquitoes only mate with their own species, the risks seem very, very low to me. I mean, to go back to Jurassic Park, remember all the dinosaurs were female. It seems that the GMO risks are a lot lower than pesticides. If you're worried about unwittingly creating genetic mutants with superpowers, we're already doing that with mosquitoes that have adapted to resist pesticides, which is a super strong point that needs to be made again. 
the pesticides that we're spraying to already kill mosquitoes, but really kill a lot more than mosquitoes, like most of our pollinators down there, are already adapting to resist pesticides, which is kind of how we got to this genetic alteration situation. Longtime listeners might be able to predict where I'm going to go from here. If we can go after invasive mosquitoes this way, what about other invasives? Could zebra mussels pass self-destruct DNA down through the generations? How about leafy spurge with inert seeds? Could Burmese pythons be genetically engineered to give birth to little sterile pythons? Most importantly, could we get rid of feral cats this way? Ah, ah, he said it! He said it! I mean, I personally think that the genetic altering of species is, you know, flat out scary. We are in a situation in places like Florida, the Everglades, where the bulk of the trapping that you see for these invasive species occurs on roads. There's very, very few roads down there is not what the media tells you. So there's hundreds of square miles of area that humans don't go in that are chock full of these invasives that are eating the native wildlife. It is possible that the long-term solution here would be to get the invasives to breed themselves out and then come back in and reseed the landscape with native wildlife, which unfortunately in this made-up scenario would probably be eaten off the face of the Everglades. For all you elk hunters out there, chasing turkeys is basically the same thing. I know the reaction you just gave me, but don't knock it till you try it and don't try it without OnX. The Hunt app will not only help you find new areas on public ground, but I use it to find out landowner info to get permission on private ground that I see birds on as well. Onyx Hunt has a special offer for you. Use code CAL to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com hunt and find more birds this spring. We've all seen plenty of gadgets and fads come and go, but here's one product that stood the test of time. Seafoam Motor Treatment. Lots of hunters and anglers know that seafoam helps engines run better and last longer. It's really simple. When you pour it in your gas tank, seafoam cleans harmful fuel deposits that cause engine problems. I'm talking common stuff like hard starts, rough engine performance, or lost fuel economy. Seafoam is an easy way to prevent or overcome these problems. Just pour a can in your gas tank and let it clean your fuel system. You probably know someone who has used a can of seafoam to get their truck or boat going again. I guarantee you've listened to them because I use it you know, regularly. People everywhere rely on seafoam to keep their trucks, boats, and small engines running the way they should the entire season. Help your engine run better and last longer. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. Now, a lot of you guys are familiar with the old hunting tradition of eating, you know, some organ, the heart or a chunk of liver off the first animal you kill. I had that when I was a little kid, and it was a big deal. Organ meats were always prized by frontier people who knew the importance of getting a lot of different minerals and nutrients. And, as often is the case, those guys were on to something. Because organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. And you can get the same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from heart and soil made exclusively from regeneratively raised grass-fed and finished cattle heart and soils unique freeze-drying process means all those important nutrients are trapped in 
ensuring you experience every one of the benefits of nature's superfood in a clean, convenient, taste-free capsule. Find out more at heartandsoil.co and make sure to use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. That's heartandsoil.co. Use the code MEATEATER. Moving on to the Alaska desk. We're getting closer to a vote by the Federal Subsistence Board that would prevent hunting of moose and caribou in two areas. Management units 23 and 26A in northwest Alaska by anyone not meeting criteria as a subsistence hunter in those areas. That means that a piece of public land the size of Michigan would be closed to you and me, and closed not only to outsiders, but also to born and bred Alaskans who don't meet these specific criteria as subsistence hunters. So let's say you grew up outside of Barrow, Alaska, in one of these units, hunted there every year, had a relationship with that area and those animals, then had to move to Anchorage to take care of a sick parent. If this decision goes through, you would have no option to return home and take part in that hunt. As we covered before, this isn't about the animals. The herds are doing well, and non-subsistence hunters take a tiny fraction of the total animals killed every year. The local hunters driving this change have argued that arriving aircraft have disrupted caribou migration patterns, but this hasn't been corroborated by science, and, anyway, migration patterns change all the time for thousands of reasons, known and unknown. In addition, several areas have been closed to aircraft, but it's extremely important to focus on population levels rather than other effects that outsiders may or may not be having. That's because the Alaska National Interest Lands Conservation Act, or ANILCA, which is the federal law that governs these decisions, says that the Federal Subsistence Board can't close federal lands for just any reason. Hunting, fishing, and trapping have to remain open to federally qualified users unless population numbers are threatened, or if the continued subsistence of the animals is threatened. That just isn't the case here. And this vote gets us into dangerous territory because of the precedent it would set. Last year, similar but much smaller slice of land near Glen Allen, units 13A and 13B, were closed to non-local moose and caribou hunters. That went by without many people taking notice, and it set the stage for this much larger closing. If shutting down 13A and 13B was okay, why not 23 and 26A? And now, if 23 and 26A are closed, what's to prevent similar areas from being closed in the same way? Alaska Fish and Game is dead set against this change. Commissioner Doug Vincent Lang has a great op-ed in the Anchorage Daily News that lays out all the issues in play here and how bad this would be for Alaskans and all American hunters. Yes, outsiders can be yahoos. They can roll in with their fancy gear and act like they own the place, but that kind of interpersonal beef is for people to work out. We can't toss out the science that biologists work so hard to develop that is supposed to guide these decisions. We can't deny Americans access to the land they own together and that they pay for with conservation dollars. So, you need to use the internet to navigate to places like the Backcountry Hunters and Anglers website at backcountryhunters.org Click on the Take Action button at the top of the page, scroll down the Oppose Public Land Closures in Northwest Alaska, and fill out that web form. This will send a message to Robin Levine, who oversees the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service's Office of Subsistence Management in Alaska. We may not be able to change the vote of the Federal Subsistence Board itself, but we can make all the noise in the world before the vote happens so that those members of that board know what's at stake. 
Moving on for a quick animals caught on tape roundup. First up, a pair of van lifers from Michigan were recently let off the hook for chasing a collared grizzly bear in Wyoming's Togatee Pass with a camera drone last year. An investigation of the incident reported that the bear fled the pursuing drone and was caught looking back over his shoulder as it ran away. For those of you who don't know, the shoulder check that a grizzly does when it runs away is a very distinct grizzly bear trait. Black bears don't often whip their heads around and look over their shoulder as they're running away. From what I've seen, grizz like to size you up one more time. Drone flying is prohibited in nearby Yellowstone and Grand Teton National Parks, but because this area is in the Bridger Teton National Forest, there's no rule against it. Authorities couldn't make a charge stick under the Airborne Hunting Act, which outlaws, quote, using an aircraft to harass any bird, fish, or other animal. Interestingly, U.S. Fish and Wildlife also tried to use the Endangered Species Act to pursue the case, interpreting the term, quote, illegal take as not just taking an animal's life, but also its picture. Huh? Fortunately, that didn't stick. Drones were recently also to blame for hassling wildlife in the Bolsa Chica Ecological Reserve near Huntington Beach, California. This is an area off-limits to recreation of all kinds to protect the vulnerable shorebirds who live there, including the elegant tern. Side note, elegant tern is the actual name. It's not just saying like, hey, that's an elegant tern. Can be confusing. Anyway... Two drones recently crashed into the nesting area of the elegant terns at the Bolsa Chica Reserve, which scared almost 3,000 terns off their nest, who, in turn, abandoned their tern eggs. Drone footage is amazing stuff. It is game-changing, especially for folks who go out and capture things for a living, uh, like I do in, in some cases. Cal's Week in Review in the Field YouTube series would be much less appealing without the shots we've taken with a drone. But sometimes, I wish that these drones could be shot out of the air. Maybe you could get hunting licenses for them. You'd have to prove that they're being used irresponsibly. Something like that. But, my personal experience here in the state of Montana, going to public trailheads, scenic overlooks, boat launches... There's always some kid now who is out there disrupting the beautiful scene that people came out to see by flying a frickin' drone over their head. I've been close to mental breakdown a couple of times because that's just not what I'm out there for, especially when I'm not working. Again, I see the hypocrisy here, but my goodness. We try to be as respectful as possible. It's still not good for somebody out there, I'm sure, but please, just try to put in the effort. Moving on. 17-year-old Haley Morinico, who late last month sprang into action when her dogs rushed a black bear who had climbed onto a wall along her backyard. The bear had two cubs nearby and was therefore not playing nice with the canines lunging and barking at her. A doorbell cam shows Haley busting out of her house, shoving the bear off the wall, scooping up the closest dog, and hauling ass out of there. Now, you know my typical advice is stay away from bears, keep your distance, whatever you do. Don't get into a tangle with the sow and cubs. But breaking up this fight and leaving all involved alive and unharmed was pretty impressive. And you know when people describe the superhuman strength that comes over a mother when her kids are in danger, they always say she could have lifted a car off of them. Well, maybe now they should say she could have wrestled the bear to save them. 
Good job, Mama Bear Haley. And last but not least, from the Animal Encounter desk, a coyote attacked and ran off with a hiker's small dog in the Hulls Gulch area of the Boise foothills. The Boise foothills are a great example of a highly trafficked wildland-urban interface. Boise, Idaho is Idaho's largest city, and the area has been experiencing rapid growth, roughly 21.5% from 2010 to 2020, making Boise the country's eighth fastest-growing city. According to Idaho News, the attack happened in broad daylight just past noon last Sunday. Idaho Fish and Game believes there are several active denning sites in the Boise foothills, and pet attacks are likely resulting from female coyotes protecting pups in dens. Or, possibly, as in this case, Mama Coyote was just sick of the kids asking for a puppy of their own. The owner of the stolen dog has asked that warning signs be placed on the trail system, The city of Boise recommends owners keep their dogs leashed while on trail and has always advised that visitors do not feed wildlife. That's all I've got for you this week. Thanks so much for listening. Check out www.steeldealers.com to find knowledgeable, friendly places to get your next set of pruning shears or an electric or gas-powered saw. And most importantly, Write in to A-S-K-C-A-L, that's AskCal at TheMeatEater.com, and let me know what's going on in your neck of the woods. Thanks again, and I'll talk to you next week. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel, gum, and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. Simply pour a can in your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. That's seafoamworks.com to learn more. Hey, I just sat down with the owners and operators of Maui Nui Venison. They're on a mission to balance Axis deer populations on Maui while giving back to the community and run a totally sustainable operation. For folks like me who want to get your own meat but aren't always successful, you can become a snack subscriber, get some Axis deer sticks sent right to your door. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I venison.com and use promo code CAL for 20% off your first order.